This morning's sermon text is from 1 John <clears throat> chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Well, happy Thanksgiving. Um, if I'm honest, growing up, I didn't really like Thanksgiving. Um, it seemed like a boring holiday to me, but this is really my first Thanksgiving with kids and a family, and uh, my love for it has grown. Uh, I used to think that Thanksgiving was something that they celebrated all over the world, and I came to the realization it's just an American holiday, but who wouldn't love the idea of sitting around a table with a ton of good food, laughing with family and friends, and then maybe watching some football. You see it in commercials leading up to the holidays, large families gathered around large tables with a big plump turkey right smack dab in the middle. Everyone's exchanging hugs and handshakes and laughs. Life is total bliss. But for some of us, that's not always our experience at Thanksgiving or the holidays. There, there are so many dynamics that can make what's supposed to be a joyous holiday uh, tense or even at times unenjoyable. Maybe it's family dynamics, or maybe the meal's not done in time, or well-laid plans that you had for your family and for the holidays fell through. Something disrupts that, that fellowship of Thanksgiving, something that's supposed to be joyous. It, it makes it not fun. Uh, we're, we've been in a one another study, and this is our last week in the one another study. And we're in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, and we're talking about our fellowship with God and with one another. Now, what, what does fellowship mean? It's one of those words that when we say it, we generally know what it means. But if someone were to press us and ask us to define it, you would say, well, actually, I, I don't really know. I don't know how to define it. But the term fellowship, it, it's used throughout the New Testament in various ways. And for our purposes, I want to define it as this. Christian fellowship is having all things in common under the gospel. There's this, this aspect of, of union, of being bound together. Fellowship is having all things in common under the gospel. That's what Christian fellowship is. We're sharing in all things, physical and spiritual. And to kind of use layman's terms, uh, the way I would maybe picture fellowship is I would come up to you and I'd put my hand on your shoulder and I'd say, you're my brother. That, that's what Christian fellowship is. It's a togetherness. It's a love. It's a trust. And in the same way that there's hindrances to our worldly fellowship in a worldly holiday like Thanksgiving, there are things that hinder our fellowship together as a church. The greatest hindrance to our Christian fellowship is our sin, specifically deliberate, conscious, continual, and hidden sin. It's like this gunk that gets in, a, in, in the cogs. If you've ever had a car that's broken down or the belts aren't working, it, it stops working. I mean, if you were to just pour motor oil or, or, uh, or goop all over your engine, the car wouldn't go very far. That's what sin does in the church. It's what, it, it affects our Christian fellowship. So as we examine this passage today, my hope for you, church, is that true Christians would diligently 
and confidently walk in the light through corporate confession of sin and obedience to Christ. So firstly, we need to know what's the foundation for Christian fellowship. Secondly, the hindrance to Christian fellowship, which is sin. And lastly, the fruit of Christian fellowship. So why do Christians have fellowship in the first place? We sang about it, so we got, we got a little bit of a foretaste and let me prayed about it. But the, the question remains, what's the foundation to Christian fellowship? So that's where we'll go first. Uh, fellowship's not an exclusively Christian uh, experience. It's not an exclusively Christian concept. People find fellowship in all sorts of things, sports, hobbies, shared experiences, culture, uh, but all of these uh, ideas of worldly fellowship, they're, they're temporal. They've, they've got an expiration date. I went to a, a Canes game the other day. If anybody's been to a Canes game, it is awesome. My mother-in-law took me with my brother-in-law, and we had a blast. Uh, and it was, it, it was a, a, a wild experience. I will say that much. I walked in, and I felt like I was walking into the Midwest. It was, it was awesome. People were high-fiving, walking into the stadium. There was a buzz. People were cheering, and it was especially... Uh, special because we won. Uh, and so you left and everybody is just on top of the world, but then everybody gets in their cars and then they leave. Maybe they don't go to another game the rest of the season and the season ends. And then even if you win the championship by that time next year, you asked who won the championship? No one can even remember. So all this worldly fellowship, it, it's temporal. It's temporary. It has an end point, but Christian fellowship is supernatural. It's eternal because its foundation is found in what God has done. John says this, he says, this is the message, this is verse five. This is the message that we've heard from him and we proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So, so what does that mean that God is light? Of all things, why, why light? So light's this common theme, you'll find it throughout almost all of scripture and light represents two things. Firstly, light usually is used to represent a goodness or a righteousness or a morality, while darkness is used to picture immorality and unrighteousness and sin. So God is establishing that he is light. By nature, he is good and righteous. He is light. He always does what's good. He always does what is right because it's his unchanging character. Not only does God say that he is light, but John reveals that in him is no darkness at all. So, so light, he's morally good and morally perfect and no darkness at all. He is blameless. He is without spot or blemish. The totality of his being is light. There's no shadows in the character of God. There's no corners or crevices in the wall that hide. There's, there's no change. God is morally perfect and absolutely good in all that he is, says, and does. But not only does light speak to God's moral purity, but in the scripture, light will often uh, portray a revelation or knowledge or truth. I had a conversation with a gentleman the other day who was admittedly agnostic. He said, I'm an agnostic atheist. And I'm not sure if those two go together, but that's how he described himself. I'm an agnostic atheist. And he asked me, I was sharing the gospel with him, and he asked me, how do you know 
that God is real and the God that you worship is real. How do you know your faith is not fake? You've never seen God. So I talked about the general revelation, what we call general revelation, things we see around us. We were out in that parking lot and I was like, look at these trees. You see these trees, they're changing. It's magnificent. The, tree, the, the leaves are gone now, but you can trust me, it was magnificent. And I talked to him about uh, my trip to Colorado climbing Mount Bierstadt, just seeing things that I, my mind just cannot comprehend. I said, you know, God, God reveals himself in creation, who he is, that he is God, he is holy, he is just. But then I asked him the question, I said, if God is so up there and holy, blameless, sovereign, all-powerful, and I'm down here, me and you are down here, and, and we're sinful, so God's transcendent, we're temporal, He's holy, I'm sinful. How can I possibly know God? How can we know him, church? What business do we have knowing God, much less fellowshipping with him? But John Stott, he said this concerning this passage. He said, Christianity is the only religion which by emphasizing that God is light, first insists on taking sin seriously, but then offers a satisfactory moral solution to the problem of sin. The way to have fellowship with God who is light is not to deny the fact or effects of sin, but to confess our sins and thankfully appropriate God's provision for our cleansing. So what, or better yet, who is the provision for our cleansing? And this is, like I said, this is our last one another sermon in this series. And then Tom, uh, steal us thunder a little bit, is gonna start an Advent series in John chapter one, same John who wrote this, I believe. And uh, we're gonna talk about all the ways in which Christ came. So all the, go through First John, all the different ways that Christ came. In week two, it says that he came as light. God, Jesus came as light. And, and not to steal from Stom, John's uh, sermon, or Tom's sermon, but John, so this same John, wrote for us this passage we're studying today as well as John chapter one, verses nine through 13. And in that passage, he said this, the true light, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He came to his own and to his own people, but they did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to be called children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but God. So God, who is light, pure and good, shone forth the light of Christ, that those who believe in him, all of us pitiful sinners, may be cleansed of our sins, becoming children of God. Now we've been brought into a family together with God as our father. And now the foundation of our fellowship with one another is the fellowship that we now have with God through Jesus Christ, the true light. This is the message that Jesus gave to the apostles and that they now give to us. This is why verse three of 1 John chapter one says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, our fellowship with one another is it's intimately and inseparably tied with our fellowship with God. They, they can't be separated. So you might, you might ask, why, why should I gather? Why should I come on 
a Sunday morning? Why do I need to join a care group? Why should I be in a Bible study? Why do I need to have these discipleship relationships and be confessing my sin and reading? All these questions, you name it. Why, why is that important? Why is that worthy of my time? And if you have that question in your mind, I would encourage you just to look around for a moment. Look around, brothers and sisters. This right here, what we're doing, our fellowship is what Christ bought with his blood. The passage is one of the biggest apologetics against lone wolf Christianity. Not only can the Christian life not be done alone, it should not be done alone. Our fellowship together is the fruit of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is foundational to the Christian life. So this, this doesn't exist outside of the church. This type of holy, eternal fellowship that will, will last far beyond the time where this building doesn't exist and your bodies do not exist. This fellowship doesn't exist outside of the church. We're so different and diverse. We have so many strengths and weaknesses, yet there's a unity that we have together. There's a love that we share with one another. And that's a gift that God has given us through Christ. And the church, it's described several ways in the New Testament. It's described as a family, a great multitude, a building, a flock, a congregation, and a body. All these things cannot be done by yourself. You can't be any of these things by yourself. So brothers and sisters, you're going to be tempted to be anonymous. So since Genesis 3, we've, we've been hiding from one another. But friends, can't you see that this fellowship of Christians was bought by Christ and is meant to be enjoyed richly? That's why John says later that you can't hate your brother and say you love God. It's, it's not possible. You can't hate your brother and love God. Christian fellowship, it, it outflows from a love for God. And, and this is supposed to be a, a warning for us today that if you're neglecting this fellowship, you are in danger danger of becoming indifferent to the things of God and hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. And that's, that's why we need each other. So you may ask, well, I've been neglecting this fellowship. How do I start? Uh, I would just say really simply pray for grace from God and do it. Um, this is, it's a gift. It's a gift that God does give us and he wants to give us. So if you, if you feel a little shy and awkward about being open with people, about confessing your sin, uh, of having intimate relationships, I, I pray that you would get the confidence not in yourself, but, but from God. He, he is wanting to give you this gift. He has given us this gift and purchased it with his death and resurrection. So I'd encourage you just to urge the, the, the desire to maybe want to slip out, to be unknown, uh, there's, a, there's a dear sister in this congregation. I don't think she knows that she has taught me this and has had such an impact in my life. So simple and so practical. I remember it for the rest of my life. You just walk up to someone and you say, hi, I'm Dalton. I don't think that we've met. So easy, so practical. And it, it's, it's changed the way that I interact with people in the church. Opened up so many doors. And you'll watch as you grow um, or you, you'll watch God as you grow in your love for others and do this, you'll start to become much more others focused. 
and not as me focused. You're gonna see that in your life as you participate in this gift that God has given you. You're gonna see it change in your life, I promise. Because it's foundation, the foundation of Christian fellowship is a gift of God purchased through the blood of Jesus Christ. We now have fellowship with God and we can richly enjoy fellowship with one another. It's possible. But you may ask, how can I be confident that I've entered in fellowship with God and with other Christians. So there's several arguments that John builds in this book, but one of the primary ones that he builds is that we can have assurance that we are indeed Christians, not because of our knowledge, but because of our obedience. So that was the foundation of Christian fellowship. Now I wanna talk about in the next verse, the hindrance to Christian fellowship. There's a, uh, a brother in this congregation who is wanting to go on to PhD studies, that's wanting to study church history. And I am just so fascinated to hear his stories of when he goes and visits these secular universities he wants to teach at, talks with some of these professors or other students. Uh, and these people are brilliant. I mean, they're smarter than any of us, all right? We can just go ahead and say it. They're smarter than any of us. And, and you guys are really smart. I was just telling someone the other day, uh, you guys are, are a smart lot. Uh, but they've read probably more than all of us combined. Uh, they've read or they've written more papers or more pages in a single project than I did in my whole two years of seminary. But their minds, a lot of them, their minds are, are dull to the things of God. They're, they're swimming in it. They're just swimming in all this glorious, rich theology and history and evidences of God's faithfulness in our world. And yet to them, it's, it's just a fact. It's just knowledge. But John says here in verse six, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, there were many heresies that emerged in the first few centuries of Christianity uh, after Christ's resurrection. But one that seemed to consistently keep popping up uh, is demonstrated, demonstrated in passages like Romans 3, 5, James 2.14 and Romans 6.1. And it's, it's this belief that since I have been saved from sin, I've been cleansed, I can do whatever I want now. It, it, it's, it just seemed like it was this temptation that constantly rose up in the church. I'm a Christian now. God has justified me and, and I'm going to be with him for eternity. So this fleshly body that I live in, I can just do what I want with. Uh, God's grace is going to abound greater in my sin. So why not just keep sinning? And Paul says, by no means. But John here fuses the idea of knowing God and obeying him. You see, being a Christian does not free us from conditions. Now you might say, uh-oh, Dalton is preaching work salvation. But, but I'm not. I think I'm preaching the Bible. Just as much as we are in danger of being legalist, we are often in as much danger of being pacifist. And what do I mean by that? Let me use a saying of Jesus to explain. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You see, some will rely on their mere knowledge of God to assure their hearts that they're Christians. This is why John says, if we say we have fellowship with him, God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So, so the issue is not the knowledge. The problem is in the practice. These people described they're not obedient to Christ. 
And therefore, they're liars. They don't truly know him because they do not obey him. So, so what does it mean to walk in darkness? Uh, we've established that walking in darkness involves sin. It is this, it, it's trying to evoke this idea if we keep walking or we're walking in darkness, it, it's, it's a continual thing. It's, it's conscious, it's deliberate, and it's continual. It's conscious because you know what you're doing. It's deliberate because you mean to do it. You seek it out. And it's continual because it's become a need or a habit. This conscious, deliberate, and continual walking in darkness has terrible effects in the life of a person. It produces the opposite of walking in the light, what, what that produces. So uh, it does three things. It has, it has a rotting nature um, to keep with that kind of theme of Thanksgiving. Stick a casserole in a dark closet. It's just going to grow all sorts of nasty things. It's, it's going to grow decay and mold. It, so when we walk in darkness, it spiritually numbs you to the truth and wanes your ability and your desire to repent. And it hardens your heart to the things of God. Two, it breeds selfishness. You're always trying to ease your own guilt. Uh, it's, it can be, often be true that those who are the harshest against sin are often themtimes, uh, themselves feeling the most guilty about their own sin. It's, it's like this black hole sucks everything in. And three, it causes distance. You think about the garden. Uh, there's this wonderful fellowship that Adam and Eve were experiencing with each other and with God. Sin enters the picture and all of a sudden there's this immediate separation. Sin inherently, it, it inherently separates. So they, they're blaming each other. They are having desires over each other. They are fleeing and running from God. So this serves as a warning, both for non-Christians, but also for Christians. So, so first thing, I wanna to speak to the non-Christian. If you're a non-Christian in the room or watching, uh, this is a warning to you. John is saying that all scripture is clear. If you do not obey God, you are not a Christian. If you walk in this deliberate darkness, you may be deceived thinking you are justified before God, but really you stand condemned. You say, well, that, that sounds pretty hopeless. It is, it, it's very hopeless. It's a hopeless place to, to be. Many will be surprised on that day when they list all the good things that they think that they have done. And this will be God's response to them as, as seen in Matthew 7, 23. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So what can you do, friend? What can you do in light of this? I, I would encourage you to believe this message first, declared by Jesus to his disciples and declared to us that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Friend, if you don't walk in the light, you have no fellowship with God and you have no fellowship with his people. Your sin will be punished. We Christians rejoice because the punishment we deserve has been placed on Jesus. But for you, the just punishment will be placed on you in an eternal hell. But friend, listen to God's word. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this. It should be very encouraging for you. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Friend, ask God to give you this light. 
ask that he would open the eyes of your heart to see Jesus. And that when he does, you wouldn't harden your heart anymore, but believe that your sins will be forgiven and you will be brought into fellowship with God. And that is wonderful news. There is a way of escape. The punishment has been placed on Christ. But for the Christian, you may ask, can a true Christian walk in darkness? I would say based on 1 John, uh, yes, maybe, but not for long. Uh, Just as this warning is for the non-Christian, it's also a warning for us as Christians today. And and maybe it would help to ask a few diagnostic questions here and, and I'll steal these from Tom. Do you love Christ more than you did last year? Have you grown in godliness in the past five years? The mark of a true Christian is not that you just have knowledge about God, but as you grow in Christian maturity, the gap between you, but sorry, the gap between what you say and know about God and what you do starts to grow increasingly smaller. Um, this is what John, John Piper, he calls the key to Christian maturity. He says, and I changed this a bit. The pathway to Christian maturity is not by first becoming an intelligent person, but becoming an obedient person. What you do with alcohol and sex and money and leisure and food and computers and the way you treat other people has more to do with your Christian life than where you go to school or what books you read. You may ask, am I a mature Christian? And I would ask you, how is what you say about God demonstrated in how you obey God? So so here's some applications. Firstly, I would say we just need to grow in confession of our sin and grow in obedience. Concerning sin, David said this in Psalm 32, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at the time when you may be found. So you will not find rest from this. You will not find rest, Christian, until you confess your sin. You you can't live on the fence but there is grace for sin in Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about that in a second. So first I'd I'd encourage us as Christians to confess our sin to one another, firstly to God and then to others and to not delay in this confession. The sin's not only, and and that's the point of this sermon, the sin is not only affecting you, but it's also affecting the body. We're not able to have fellowship with one another. We're not able to love one another when we're walking in darkness. And the second encouragement I'd have for you is to accept and leave the consequences to God. So we may feel like we're off the hook, just have to confess and then everything will be okay. We confess sin. But confession does not mean that the temporal consequences of sin are erased. Sometimes they are and sometimes they are not but God uses them to help us continue in faith. So for years, I really struggled with, um, with overeating and gluttony, really my whole life. Uh, it, it got really in my 20s, it got out of control. And I think by God's grace, a lot, lot of secret sin, a lot of overeating, binge eating, and there was a lot going on there, but God, God's helped me by his grace. And I think he got, he got a hold of me and I've seen serious growth in my life. But there was also consequence. I, I, I wear this on the back of my arm probably for the rest of my life because I contracted or, or developed uh, type 2 diabetes. And sometimes that consequence is really hard. Uh, 
uh, sometimes even for my own soul, it, it, it's, it's hard to bear. Um, but I'm thankful that I have to wear this because God uses it as a sweet discipline in my life. These consequences that I have for my sin, it, it keeps me on point and it keeps me disciplined. It's a daily reminder of where God has brought me and where the effects of my sin brought me as well. So I've seen the grace of God in my life and I'm thankful for the discipline. God disciplines us because he loves us. But you can't start that journey to growth and being disciplined graciously by God until you confess the sin that's hiding down deep. We can't walk with God, have fellowship with God and enjoy the rich fellowship we have with one another if we are walking in the darkness. It's, it, it's a warning to us Christians. But for you, true Christian, this passage, it's, it's not meant to be crushing or hopeless, okay? Uh, and you don't have to pull out your hair trying to fulfill a perfection. That's why we'll examine how the gift of Christian fellowship, it actually, it helps us, true Christians, to walk in greater obedience, knowing that all our sins are forgiven by our gracious Savior, Jesus Christ. And now we're empowered to live new lives, so thirdly, let's look at the, the fruit of Christian fellowship. Verse seven, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So you have these two pictures, those who walk in the darkness, conscious, deliberate, continuous darkness. So sin and those who continuously, consciously, deliberately, and continuously walk in the light. They walk in obedience and confession to Christ. So walking in the light, our conscious, deliberate, and continuous obedience, it produces three things in the Christian. First, it has a preserving nature. And secondly, it unifies us. And I'll get to the third one in a minute. So what does it mean that if we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin? If you read that outside of the context, you'd think, well, I'm in trouble. I have to be perfect in order to be perfected. I have to be walking in obedience in order to be justified by Christ. But moral perfection isn't what we're chasing. And if you are chasing moral perfection, you're gonna be crushed. It's, it's gonna be a crushing blow to you because you cannot attain it in this life. But you must keep walking in the light, there's this implication of a struggle. There's a struggle going on in the life of the Christian. And, and that's where we have to uh, call to mind our do-done theology. So, excuse me, all the commands of Christ have to be looked at in light of what Christ has accomplished. So Christ has done this, therefore we do. That is how we have to read these commands of scripture. So the idea is Christ has done, therefore I must. And because Christ has done, therefore I can. So Christ has done, therefore I must. And Christ has done, therefore I can. You see, brothers and sisters, and I'm stealing this from John Piper again, or using it, maybe a better way to say that. What Christ bought us through his death and resurrection is not merely grace to be forgiven our sins, but grace to conquer our sins. You can have victory over sin in your life. 
you can change. You've been made a new creation. It's, it's the reason that we baptize by immersion, if, if at all possible. It's this, this picture of what's happened on the inside of a Christian. You've been fully buried with Christ, fully underwater submerged. And, and that person stays there and you've been fully raised to a new life, a new creation. You've been made a new creation in Christ. And then John says later in chapter five, it says all of a sudden his commandments aren't burdensome to us anymore. That there's a love. We love to obey God because we've seen what he's done in our lives. We've seen the fruit that it has produced. So no longer is it this, this crushing moral perfection that I've, I've got to do better and I've got to live up to it. All of a sudden it becomes not a duty, but a delight You love to obey God and keep his commandments because God has so richly lavished his grace on you. And this walking in the light is meant to be done together with fellowship with God and with one another. So as we confess our sins to one another and strive together by the grace of God, walking in the light has a preserving nature in our life. God is shining lights on these corners of our life Uh, that would otherwise be in darkness. We are repenting and we're helping each other repent. That's why this passage teaches that our fellowship with God is intimately tied with our fellowship with one another. God uses Christian fellowship in the church as a sanctifying agent in the life of the Christian. So as we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all sin. And, And maybe this is, a Baptist problem, uh, but I grew up just really tying fellowship with hanging out. That would have been my definition is fellowship, you hang out, you have a meal, you shoot the breeze and you just feel really good about it. You're like, I'm glad I have friends at the end of it. But that's not, that's not why, that's not really what Christian fellowship is. There, there's something deeper to it. And I, I have a brother, sweet brother that I go on a walk with um, once a week and it is fun. It's a lot of fun. And we do shoot the breeze sometimes. Um, but it's, it's deeper that, than that. We ask each other, how have you been, how have you been loving your family? Uh, you know, I ask him, how, how have you been loving your family? He asked me, how have you been loving your family, Dalton? How have you discipled your family this week? How have the temptations in your life Ben, how has your thought life been? We encourage one another from the word. We pray, we weep, we cry out to God together and thank God for that relationship and for all the relationships I enjoy in the church like that. It helps me walk with God. It helps me fight for faith. God uses this fellowship with others to grow and strengthen my fellowship with him. Uh, A big group of you when I was coming in came up and said, hey, I was praying for you today as you prepared to preach or you gave an encouraging word. That helped me tremendously because I, I have this, this, this uh, tendency to look inward. But that is Christian fellowship. That, that's what that is right there. So where would we be without it, church? And as I walk in the light and we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. So my question is, have you been neglecting this fellowship? So a few application points. 
as, as we kind of wrap up. I, I would encourage you just to be more open with one another. I, I know that uh, you can't share everything and you shouldn't share everything to everyone. Just encourage you to be more open um, at kind of a micro level. Uh, it, can, it could probably start with when someone asks, hey, how are you? You say, well, I, I've kind of had a hard week. I've, uh, I've been pretty discontent with my circumstances and there's a lot of frustrations going on at work and I just feel discontent. Can you pray for me or could you encourage me from God's word? I mean, that, that's just a total paradigm shift from, I'm doing good, man, <laughs> you know? And uh, it, we just can be tempted to say we're doing good when we're not. So that, that's, that's a micro level. But I'd also encourage you, as you do that in, in micro levels, at a macro level, as we begin to be more open with each other, confessing our sins to one another, encouraging one another from God's word, I think you'll see your fellowship and trust for one another grow. You'll have people in your life that you're able to confess those, those sins to uh, regularly who are asking you the hard questions. And also, I, I'd encourage us to ask good questions of one another too. Uh, I, I love when brothers say, brother, how's your marriage? How have you been discipling your family this week? Has it been hard to be content this week? What is something, I, I was at a brother's house the other day. He said, what's something from scripture that you've been reading and have learned a lot from? Is there anything I can pray for you about right now? So it has a preserving nature. It has a unifying nature. But thirdly, it helps us serve one another. Thirdly, brothers and sisters, another way walking in the light helps us to have fellowship with one another is that it helps us be greater servants to one another. A clear conscience is one of the Christian's strongest tools in ministering to others. Not that you're, you're perfect, but there's nothing that you're hiding. There's not this sense of hypocrisy that it'll paralyze you. So, so how, am I, how am I, how am I, or how are you able to encourage others to seek and treasure Christ when you are not yourself seeking or treasuring Christ? How can I proclaim to you that God is lovely and he's satisfying while walking in darkness myself? So walking in the light will free you to love and consider others in a special way. It'll provide you a unique freedom to proclaim the grace of God, to forgive and conquer sins because you have experienced it yourself. So church, I'd encourage you, confess your sins to one another and repent and not just sins proper. And what I mean by that is not just sins that, that you're currently doing, but it's also the desire. Sin starts at desire Within, We can be tempted really to excuse ourselves of sin. I, I haven't crossed this certain line, uh, so there's no need to confess it. Uh, but Jesus kind of, not kind of, he did. He, he turned that paradigm on its head at the Sermon of the Mount. It's, it's these, this sin within, this indwelling sin. So these inward desires must be confessed as well. So a lot's been said today, <clears throat> excuse me, from God's word. And much more could be said. But if, if I could wrap it up succinctly, I'd, I'd say this. The purpose of this passage is that true Christians would diligently and confidently walk in the light as God is in the light through corporate confession of sin and obedience to Christ, that they may be cleansed of sin and be an encouragement to others around them. And I want to end by reading the last few verses, or actually the next few verses found in 1 John right after verse 7, if you're following along. And I pray just be encouraging to us all. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth 
is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, that's a sweet word. I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by, this is the whole sermon. Yeah, this is the whole sermon right here. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Can we take a few moments and just ask God to, to search and examine our hearts in light of what we've heard today? Lord, you are light. And this is the message that you gave to the apostles yourself and you have given to us. You are light and in you is no darkness at all. And we know the command is to be holy as you are holy. And we're thankful for Jesus Christ. He has provided us a way to grow in holiness and to be declared holy. I pray that we would rest in that today and that our obedience to you would spring forth from a gospel hope and a gospel thankfulness And Lord, what you have done and accomplished through Jesus Christ, help our church to love each other better. Help us to confess our sin. If there are things right now that brothers or sisters are are struggling with and they've kept inside, I pray that they would confess it, that they may be healed.